John chapter 1, verse 5. And the light shined in the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. Last week, Pastor Tim and I went up to a snow camp retreat with the youth. And that was the first night's subject, darkness. We asked the question, or actually Pastor Tim asked the question. I sat in the back pondering the question. Think about the most the darkest physical place that you have ever been and what it felt like. It was easy for me. It was 1985. I was a rookie walking on B Block at Sing Sing Correctional Facility. And I was walking with an experienced officer. I was still on the job training. And it was um, evening time. And the flats were open, so we had inmates out, hundreds of inmates down the flats. Cell doors were open on this side, and we were walking, watching everything. And the lights went out. I'm surrounded by hundreds of, I'll just say it, evil. And it felt like an eternity, and I'm sure it was only a few seconds. But in that moment that the lights went out and I could see nothing, a hand grabbed my collar of my shirt and pulled me into a cell. I was, thought I was going to die. And then I heard, it's me. We're staying here till the lights come on. It was the, the, rook, the veteran officer. In the darkness, he found me. And pulled me to safety. Then the question came in, what is the darkest place you've been in emotionally or spiritually? Now, to a bunch of teenagers, this is a challenging question. Because I know in that group of kids that were there the other night, there was kids that are struggling with addictions. Kids that are struggling with anxiety and depression. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's my darkest place? I've shared it with you guys before. It was 2019 in a hospital room. When everything that I had thought my life was supposed to be was gone. And just like on that block, a hand grabbed my collar and said, you're safe. Think about that. Last week in the sermon, and I, we saw Jonah, and I am absolutely 100% positive that in the belly of that fish that God designed, Jonah was in the darkest place he had ever been physically in his whole life. And I'm pretty sure he was in the darkest place he'd ever been emotionally and spiritually in his life. So when I shared this little story this week, because it just kind of was one of those things I shared at lunch, Pastor John's just like, you got to day it out on Sunday. So you got to say that. Just so, you know what? I wanted to share that, and I want you to think about that. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I want to continue this series that we started last week in the 
book of Jonah, Jonah the petulant prophet. And uh, we've come to chapter 2, chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. And uh, I've titled this part of the series, chapter 2, when when Jonah says, okay, 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 I will do it your way. But as I was working on this this week, and as I was thinking about what what Ben had shared in staff meeting on Tuesday morning, I kept coming back to these questions. What exactly did Jonah know about his situation? And when exactly did he know it? In last week's exciting first installment of this series, we met this prophet uh, from the region of Galilee named Jonah. God spoke to Jonah with an assignment, and Jonah said, nope. He headed the other way, and he tried to put as much distance between himself and this God as he could. He literally tried to flee to the very end of the world as he knew it. showed you that map last Sunday. Several of you commented on how uh, striking that, that image was to be able to see the direction of travel and the distance that Jonah tried to put between him and God. But he could not outrun God's reach. He had not read Psalm 139, or if he had, he had forgotten it. Because in Psalm 139, we read, Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? Even if I make my bed in Sheol, in hell, even there you are with me. Even the darkness is as light to thee. Jonah either never read that or had forgotten that he could not run and hide from God. And uh, in the dramatic story in Jonah chapter 1, God reached out his hand and 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 he started splashing the ship with water. Have you ever been in a pool and you play the splash party? And And then the splashing gets bigger. And God was splashing that ship with wind and waves. And the sailors were terrified and they were doing everything to fight their way through to safety. Throwing, throwing cargo overboard, trying to, trying to spare their lives. And finally, they realized that the only, the only thing left for them to do was to throw Jonah overboard. Jonah volunteered. He said, you're going to have to throw me overboard. I won't be able to jump. You're going to have to throw me. And when you do, the storm will be over. And so they did, and it was. And uh, we remember, this is how chapter 1 ends. They picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. That's 72 hours. It worked. The ship was saved. God sent this great fish to catch Jonah. It's really not that often that we hear about a a fish catching a man. I guess I've always imagined in my head, since the first time I heard this story as a boy, that as Jonah went over the side, the fish came to the surface and opened its massive maw, and Jonah went right in. That's how I've imagined it. Easy peasy. 
But in Jonah 2, when he describes his experience, it's quite different than that. I have this idea in my head, and I've got it. I know where it came from. It came from Walt Disney's telling of the story of Pinocchio. Maybe you have this idea that I have. This nice, big, airy chamber with an arch of rib bones. There's even a lantern that this fish at some point swallowed from some other shipwreck. Have you seen that picture? I mean, it's weird, but I think I could spend 72 hours in that room. But I don't think it's like that. I've been around fish. I've never been inside of a fish, but I've seen the insides of fish. I've smelled the insides of fish. I've handled the insides of fish. I've never been on the inside of the insides of the fish, if you follow me. So imagine with me this scene. There's some tavern, some inn, in some seaport city, maybe Joppa, maybe another one of the many small cities scattered around the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, inside this inn, sitting at a wooden table, are some of the very sailors who set out from Joppa, heading to Tarshish with a cargo and a passenger named Jonah. That cursed Hebrew prophet that nearly got them all killed. Now, it's been years since that experience, and they've gathered at this tavern, and they're sitting at a table, and uh, they're, they're having a, a nice conversation over plates of food. Yeah. And they are retelling their story. People tell the same stories over and over again. It doesn't even matter if the audience is new, right, Kelly? I tell the same stories. It's nice every, every once in a while you get a new audience. But you're, you're going to tell your favorite stories. And so these, I'm, I'm imagining this scene. Are you with me? They're telling the story of how they went out uh, on a calm sea and they started out and a storm unexpectedly came up. Uh, the Weather Channel hadn't had anything about it. And uh, they ended up having to throw a guy overboard. And as soon as he hit the water, the sea became calm. Here they are telling their story. And there are people around them listening. Yeah, disbelieving. Yeah, right, sure. Just another fish story. <laughs> the one that got away. But into this tavern walks this scruffy old long stringy hair bearded man dressed in grimy robes and he walks over their table and he interrupts them and as they look up they recognize there he is this is the guy this is Jonah much older now and Jonah says to them that's nothing <laughs> wait till I tell you what happened next here it is. Here's Jonah's story. 
Jonah finally put this together. And if you look at Jonah chapter 2 and compare it with Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 3 and Jonah chapter 4, if you're looking at them in a printed Bible or even in your online version of a Bible, you'll notice just the words appear differently. They're in a different form. They're laid out differently. And that's because Jonah chapter 2 is a poem. If we, if we p- took it out of Jonah and we put it in another book of the Bible, it would fit nicely in the book of Psalms. It's the same literary style. I don't know if anybody here writes poetry or ever tried to write poetry beyond the roses are red. <laughs> Valentine's poem. I wrote a Valentine's poem for Kelly one year and... Uh, and I got the number wrong. I was thinking this is our sixth anniversary when in fact it was our seventh. And I couldn't come up with anything that rhymed with seventh. So I just stuck with sixth. Because <laughs> I'm not a poet. But it's hard work to craft a poem or a song. Because songs are really poems set to music. We sang a few poems this morning. Good ones. But before he got to the finished product of Jonah 2, I can imagine there was some muttering, some cursing, probably even some screaming, and plenty of silence, 72 hours with your own company in a Tiny, tight, slimy, smelly, squeezy tube. I don't think God created a great cruise ship fish (laughs) with a balcony suite. I think God wanted to squeeze Jonah some. Maybe it wasn't completely silent. He was probably up close to a beating heart. And maybe there were some gurgling noises, sort of like the, the noises your own digestive apparatus makes sometimes when it's hard at work trying to digest whatever you just put in it. Probably some unnerving sounds, but no company. We don't really have that much data about the acoustical properties of the inside of a great fish. Not much study has been done on that. I couldn't find anything anyway. And I'm not one to volunteer for that kind of research. (laughs) But this is what Jonah's poem describes. First he says, I thought I was drowning. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas... And the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. There have been three times in my life where I nearly drowned. Once when I was a little boy. I don't remember that. I just remember the stories being told about it. Two as an adult, and I remember both of them quite vividly. And I tell the story of the most recent one often. I went over a small waterfall in a canoe. We set out on a flatwater canoe float trip and found ourselves on a different piece of water than we expected, and for which we were not prepared. I was, I was riding 
I was in the back of the canoe sitting on my life preserver seat cushion. Not wearing a proper U.S. Coast Guard approved life vest. I was sitting on a Coast Guard approved seat cushion. Which did not follow me out of the canoe. Or if it did, it didn't land anywhere near me. I went over the waterfall out of the canoe. My son Matthew was in the front of the canoe. We both went out of the canoe and into the water, deep water at the foot of this waterfall. And uh, for seconds, for seconds, which seemed to me much longer, I was deep under this water and disoriented. It took me a few seconds to realize that the bubbles were rising in this direction. And then I remembered, that's up. It was completely dark. I could not see anything. I did not know where my son was. I thought in those instants, this is it. And so I swam toward the light. Turns out it wasn't it. And my next frantic thought was, where is my son? And I looked, and he was about 100 yards behind me. Now, he was in front of me when we went over the waterfall. How I ended up 100 yards in front of him, and, and I don't float as well as he does, but I was in front of him. And he was frantically looking for me. And um, as I have said, I, I like to quote Mark Lowry when I come to this. If I had known I was going to survive that experience... I would have enjoyed it a whole lot more. <laughs> Jonah says, I thought I was drowning. And then he says, actually, I thought I was dead. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The fish did not catch him on the fly. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's a poetic way of saying, I was pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I died. I thought, I must, I must be dead. So dark, like Ben said, so dark, there was nothing to see. And there's no coming back from that. But then Jonah says, I woke up. Dead. Maybe. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Sheol is a Hebrew word. The ancient Hebrews used to identify the place of the dead. Or the place where the immortal soul goes when the mortal body it was assigned to has died. Bless you. I thought I was dead. It's not heaven, Sheol. It's not heaven, nor is it hell. It's something in between. Place where the dead go to wait whatever is next. Modern translations of this word often just translate it the grave. Perhaps at first Jonah thought that he really had drowned, that he really was dead, and that his awakening in this strange and unfamiliar and uncomfortable place was going to be his new eternal home. There was not a countdown clock ticking away. 
There was no countdown clock. God had put him in time out and he did not say, you're going to be there for three days. God did not say to him, this is temporary. He thought he was dead and he was awake and conscious in some new state of existence. And so, dead or alive, he says, here's a few things that I have learned. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Jonah knew wherever this was that he was, he was there at God's hand because of his own rebellion and disobedience. He was getting what he deserved. When he told the sailors to throw him over the side, this is what he expected. God's mad at me. God's going to kill me because I refused his assignment. I refused to obey him. He was resigned to his fate and he said, throw me overboard. It's the only thing that's going to save you. You cast me into the deep, God. If you're out there listening at all, I know this is your, this is your hand. And still, he said, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Somehow, in this slimy place, pressed in on every side. I wonder if he was claustrophobic. Years ago, when I was in the army, I brought home my mummy sleeping bag and I got convinced, somehow convinced Kelly to try it on for size. And she laid down in this sleeping bag and it's a form-fitting shape. And I zipped it up and there's a drawstring that pulls the hood tight. And I, I pulled it tight around her until just the tip of her nose was visible and she started to panic. She didn't like being enclosed in that tight place. Probably a lot of you are a little on the claustrophobic side too. Why wouldn't we be? I don't want to be, I don't want to be restrained. I don't want to be held so tight. I don't want to be so badly squeezed. Yet somehow Jonah knew or thought he knew or believed or hoped, I still will look upon the temple of the living God. This hope is further expressed in, in verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He had a growing sense. Maybe, maybe he began to understand. This is why I'm wondering, what did he know and when did he know it? He started maybe to have some sense. Maybe I'm not dead. I, I, I feel, though I'm not comfortable, I feel like my, I can feel my heart pounding. I can sense that my, my lungs are moving. I'm breathing in air. I can, I can move my hands and feet. I can hear. I can smell. I can't see anything, but there's nothing here to see. He was beginning to think that even though God was displeased with him, he was not finished with him. And I want you to hear that. Even if you have felt, or maybe right now feel, 
that God's hand is against you because of some act of disobedience or rebellion or unbelief or something. Maybe you feel as though the hand of God is turned against you, but God has not finished with you yet. There's more. I'm sure of this. Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi. I am sure of this. He that began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You might be walking outside of the line that God has drawn for you to walk. But he has not abandoned you to the grave. He might be waiting to accomplish something extraordinary in your life. Don't give up hope. Jonah says, uh, still in verse 6, Those who pay regard to vain idols, maybe he's thinking in that moment about all the sailors that were bowing down and praying and crying out to whatever gods they thought could help them, none of them stirred a imaginary finger to do anything to help them. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Jonah, inside the insides of this great fish found it in himself to say, I will give thanks. Hmm. Even if you put me here in this fishy, smelling, slimy, cramped, contraction-squeezing tube, I can still say thank you. You've probably heard this famous quote by uh, the theologian Matthew Henry. He had just been robbed by a thief and lost his wallet. He called it a purse. He said this, I'm thankful first because though he robbed me today, he never robbed me before. And second, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. And third, because although he took all I possessed, it wasn't really very much. And fourth, Matthew Henry said, because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. Jonah somehow, Jonah somehow found it in himself to put this line in his poem, it could be worse. I could be in a different part of this fish. I don't know what, what, what could have been worse. But he said, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. And then he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. God, I'm ready to do what I promised you that I would do. If you'll still have me, I will go to Nineveh. It's got to be better than this place. <laughs> Now, I thought about this and I realized this same lesson that Jonah expresses from this place of trouble, Job, Job learned the same lesson, though 
the path that brought him to it was different. He learned the same lesson. He says in Job 42 too, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, God. I know that you can do all things and that whatever you purpose to do, no one can defy it. No one can prevent your will, God, from being accomplished. Not even me. And finally he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. But let there be no doubt about it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Whether, whether it's being saved from the raging storm or from the digestive tract of a fish or from uh, financial ruin or medical urgency or relational dysfunction or whatever the thing is that puts you in distress, salvation belongs to the Lord. Romans 14.8. Paul says, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to his will. And after Jonah says to us what he learned, he says, and then I prayed. Isn't it funny, though, how much easier it is for us to pray when we are in some kind of distress? I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. I wonder what kind of story we would be telling today if Jonah had prayed first. After first receiving the word of the Lord which was sending him to Nineveh. What if instead of immediately saying no and fleeing, he said, well, let, let, me, let me pray about this. Not in the way that we say, well, let me pray about this. I have no intention of saying yes. <laughs> but let me pray about this because I don't want to impolitely say no to you right, right up front. Let me pray about this and then I'll, then I'll say no. Let me pray about this and see if I can't, by my praying, bring my will into alignment with your will, God. That's how prayer works at its best. When I surrender to pray over something and I say, Lord, I don't understand what your will is, but I want it, I want to know it, and I want to do it. And as I continue in prayer, little by little, my will, my rebellious will, my inclination to say no, can, can, God can begin to turn me to the place where I'm ready to say yes. If I let him. Jonah prayed and then he said, and God heard. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Of course he heard. God always hears. He hears the faintest whisper. Even when we don't know how to pray, 
Paul says to us, Romans 8, even when I don't know how to express my feelings in prayer, the Spirit of God prays for me with utterings too deep for me to understand. He hears the prayer. He hears the cry of your heart. Don't ever think that you are not able to be heard in heaven because you're so small and so weak and so far away in rebellion or whatever it might be. When you pray, God hears you. And then, and then Jonah said, then God spoke. After three days and three nights of nothing, God finally spoke. But not to Jonah. Then God spoke to the fish. Turns out, it turns out, God has a very strict catch and release policy. God spoke to the fish, and the, and the fish, unlike uh, the servant of God, the fish did not disobey. The fish did not rebel. The fish, the strangest thing of all, the, the strangest thing of all, God spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And now, at this point, I'm quite sure that Jonah was now for sure aware of what was going on. If he didn't know before, now he knew where he had been for three days and three nights and what was causing all of the ruckus, that pounding heart, the squishing, squeamish noises he was hearing and feeling. It seems certain that he knew. I've been sick to my stomach before. I've vomited a few times. The funny thing about it is, as awful as it is, you usually feel better after it's over. You've probably had the experience. If you haven't, don't, don't seek it. If you've ever had the experience of vomiting, in this story, you are more like the fish than you are like Jonah. None of us can, be, can, can imagine what it's like to be the thing that is vomited. But God spoke to the fish and the fish spit him out on dry land. Man, I don't know that there's a bath hot enough or soap strong enough to fix that. a terrible experience, but it's a story of redemption, isn't it? I'd like to ask you to pray with me, and then the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Heavenly Father, as we've continued the story of Jonah today, and we've, we've, we've heard, we've reviewed what, what he said about his experience of thinking that he had been cast away from you, thinking he was dying, thinking he was dead, thinking he was forsaken, and then realizing that he was in your hands the whole time.
that for three days and three nights, as terrible as he was feeling, he was not alone. And that you still had something to finish in his life. And I pray that if we're sitting here, if we're listening, if anyone is listening in this room or online who feels in any way at all that they're in distress and maybe, maybe God, you have turned your back on them, maybe you've finished with them, you'll have nothing more to do with them. Convince them, Father, I pray, through the testimony of Jonah, that you do hear our cry, even when it's from a place of distress. And you do finish what you start in our lives. Encourage us with that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.